So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. A man named Gary shares with us his story regarding a calling that he sensed the Lord had on his life. He says, so there it was, my boundary of fear. I sensed God inviting me into an extraordinary adventure of service, but deep inside, I was afraid. He was afraid of what people would think. He was afraid of failing. He says, I was afraid of looking like a fool and a loser. He said, I vividly remember when I finally had to make the decision to abandon my career to become the first employee of a nonprofit organization that did not exist. I had worked for this idea for three years with my friends. Everyone was excited about the idea. I told everyone about it, but then I had to act. I had to walk into my boss's office and kind of safely engage in this adventure that I thought the Lord was calling me to. He says safely because he actually didn't quit right away. He actually asked for a leave of absence. They declined. Now he had a decision to make. Will he move forward in faith, or will he stay where he is at, restricted and bounded by his own fears? How many people are afraid of things? How many people have fears in life? Okay, everyone everyone has fears. I had fear getting up here this morning. Every Sunday morning, I'm afraid, and I have a choice to make. I can stay in a corner or hide or lock myself in my office and be okay, or I can come up here, face my fears, trust in the Lord, and move forward. Fears restrict us. Fears keep us captive, and fears can paralyze us so that we are not able to fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives. Amen? That is exactly what is happening here with the disciples. The disciples need something. You and I need something, and we all need, what we need is Jesus' peace. And Jesus gives us his peace so that you and I can fearlessly follow him. Jesus gives us his peace 
so that we can combat our fears and follow Him forward in faith. Notice what John emphasizes here in the beginning. Three times, actually, in this short section, two times in this passage, one time in the next one, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. Why? They're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of the ones who killed Jesus Christ, and they are thinking that the same thing is going to happen to them. Notice what fear does. It locks the doors. It shuts the doors. It keeps us inside and keeps the world outside. And it keeps us from following the Lord Jesus in the purpose that He has for our life. We are afraid of who or what is out there. And because we are afraid, we stay inside. We stay inside ourselves or we stay inside a physical location. Fear keeps us from moving forward in faith. The doors are locked, but the doors cannot keep Jesus from coming in. I just love that. Here they are. They're all afraid, and they're afraid because of the Jews because of the ones who killed Jesus Christ, and Jesus just comes right through the door, doesn't he? And what does he do is he shows them his hands and his side, and he says, it's me, I'm alive, you have absolutely nothing to fear. I have overcome death. And it reminds us exactly what Jesus was saying to them earlier. He gives them a peace. He promises them tribulation but he reminds them not to fear. Why? Because he has overcome the entire world. No matter what it is, church, that you and I fear in this world, Jesus Christ has overcome it. And when we have a confidence and assurance in him, we can move forward in faith for the mission that he's called us to do. Whatever it is he's called you to do in life, Jesus gives you his peace so you can fearlessly follow him. We don't need to be afraid of what's out there because we have Jesus with us right here. The peace that he gives only comes from his person. It is not a peace like the world gives. We find peace in our circumstances. We find peace in our comforts. We find peace and security in all the things that sometimes the world, that the world finds. This peace is a supernatural peace derived from the assurance of knowing Christ and the very fact that he has overcome death and one day we will too. That's where this peace comes from. And he gives us this peace so that we can follow him in the mission and the purpose that he has for us, for our lives. And there's no greater fear that people have than that of evangelism. And that's, where, that's a specific purpose that he is talking about today, uh, the mission that he has for us, uh, the calling to go out and proclaim the gospel. How many people are afraid to do that? Raise your hand. Uh, how many, let's go, how many people are afraid to raise their hand right now because you don't want anyone knowing you're afraid of evangelism? It's okay. I'm afraid of evangelism. I'm afraid of, of following Jesus sometimes. I asked a couple people this week, and I love the response that I got. I won't tell you who they were. So I said to them, I just said, what are your fears of evangelism? First answer, doing it. Okay. 
right? That makes sense. People are afraid to actually just do evangelism. What's the second one? People, right? And people are involved with evangelism. So that makes sense. Third one is rejection. So all of those summed up together, right? They all kind of flow one from another. But we have these fears because we don't know how people are going to respond. We want people to respond positively. We're afraid that they are not. Jesus' peace can overcome all of our fears. Jesus gives us a contentment and assurance in Him, knowing that nothing will happen to us that is outside of His will, and no, and no matter what happens to us, we will be with Him, and He will be with us. As we move forward and follow Him, so peace, Jesus' peace gets us out the door and enables us to follow Him in the mission that He's called us to do. And that mission has three essentials to it. The first one is we follow in His pattern. So look at where this leads. After Jesus says again, peace be with you, He immediately gives them the commission to go out and proclaim the gospel. Verse 21b, so He says to them, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He gets right down to it, doesn't he? I haven't done a fly fishing illustration in a while, so I figured I would toss one up there. This is a nymph. It's a, it's a little bug that is in the water, or water, however you want to say it. And this actually makes up 90% of a, of a fish's diet of its food. 90% of their food is under, under the surface. The, that next to it is a pattern of a nymph. So that's the real deal. This is a mayfly nymph, or they're called clingers or crawlers. This is a pattern that fly... This is what real fishermen use, by the way. I'm just going to throw it out there. Real fishermen use, use flies. And what we try to do is we try to imitate the original and you have to imitate the original in a few ways. You have to imitate the original in size, shape, color, but also you have to originate, you have to imitate the original in behavior too. Not, not many people know that. And what's, what's the number one thing for the fly to work? Where does the fly have to be? It's got to be in the water, right? The fly is not going to do any good not in the water. You and I are not going to do any good for the kingdom message that we have sitting here in church. You have to go out as he sends you, and you go out in likeness and manner in the way in which he was sent as well. The number one way in which Jesus lived was a life of obedience, isn't it? He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In a, in a similar fashion, I send you into the world. Jesus' life was marked by obedience. One of the first ways in which we imitate his pattern is actually obeying what he is saying here. This is kind of a mini great commission for the disciples. Matthew 28 gives the great commission for everyone who is witnessing Jesus before he ascends into heaven, and he says, all authority has been 
given to me. All authority is mine, therefore you need to follow that authority, and you need to not worry about the authorities of this world, therefore make disciples. That's the commission. How do you make disciples? Is you go, you baptize, and you teach. He's sending us out. We need to first obey that and then continue to follow in that pattern as we live a life of obedience no matter where He calls you to. Right now, maybe God is calling some of you to something that you are afraid of. Maybe He's asking you to do something that you just really, you're not too sure about. Receive His peace and follow in obedience. His life was a life that identified with sinners. In order for us to fulfill the commission that God has on our lives as individuals and on our life as a church, we need to go out there with them, don't we? As a matter of fact, early in the Gospels, Jesus is ridiculed for what? Hanging out with sinners. We need to place ourselves in their world. You and I should be intentionally forming relationships with people who don't know Christ. That's the call. So that we can witness with our lives, so that we can care for the needs of this world, and so that we can witness with our mouths as well. We have to remember, right, we're all sinners, but sometimes we forget that it was God's grace that saved us. We forget that people came to us and people actually proclaimed the gospel message to us in the state that we were in. Many of you would not have liked me before I was a Christian. You might have probably actually hated me. You might be like, Lord, I'm going to withhold everything from that man right there. He deserves judgment. And, and we forget that we, are, we were once that way. We have to go into their world and identify with them because that's how Jesus was sent. He became a man. He became a man who went out to the poor. He went out to the outcasts. You and I need to intentionally do the same things. His life was marked by suffering and sacrifice as well. I, I'd li I like that. That's a sculpture. It's called The Homeless Jesus. Has anyone ever seen that or... Looked at that before. And I think it, it, it paints a really good picture, reminder of the life that Jesus lived. And those who wanted to follow him, he actually discouraged them and reminded them, hey, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Understand what you are engaging in. Understand that this life, it's a life of suffering. It's a life of sacrifice. Are we sacrificing for unbelievers in this world so that we can proclaim God's message? And if not, why? Or are we so comfortable with our lives that we just let other people handle that? I think it's, it's funny that the, one of the first things that Jesus does here is he's not like, 
He's not catching up with them. He's not like, they're not like, hey, how was it being dead for three days? And he's like, oh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you how that went. No, he, two times he goes, peace be with you. Go. Here I am. I'm alive. You guys have a job to do. Go. He gets right to the point. And all of this is a summary of what he's been saying up until this point. His life was a life of humility, one in which I think Christians need all the more today. We need to be humble with people. We need to understand that they're sinners. We need to understand we're sinners. We need to understand that, yes, we have the big answers, but we may not have all the answers. His life was a life of love. He loved the sinners. He didn't hate the sinner. He loved them. He cared for them. When that rich man went away, it it broke Jesus' heart. He was sad by that. It's a life of compassion. It's a life of truth, though, too, right? And that's where it gets difficult, to proclaim the truth when we know people don't want to hear it. We follow His pattern, and as we do so, we rely on His power. Verse 22. When he had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the uh, screen for the, the full self-driving mode in the Tesla. So the Tesla allows you to choose how you're going to drive. You can select three profiles, chill, average, and assertive. So they vary in terms of aggressiveness and potential safety as well. An image posted to Twitter gives us a more detailed glimpse at what this actually means. In the description beneath the assertive option, Tesla notes that the vehicle will have a smaller following distance, perform more frequent speed lane changes, and will also not exit passing lanes. It'll stay in the passing lane. And also, it may perform rolling stops at stop signs. So that is, that is the assertive mode. And then, of course, it just goes down from there. What was amazing to me, I didn't realize there were any other options besides the assertive mode. That is how I engage as soon as I get into a vehicle, full assertive mode all the time. But when it comes to my life in evangelism and proclaiming the gospel, sometimes I like to put the Holy Spirit on chill mode. Holy Spirit, you just need to settle down. I'll be aggressive and assertive any other way in my life, but when it comes to this, I just kind of want to kick back and enjoy the scenery. And I think we, we treat the Holy Spirit like a self-driving vehicle. We want to control the Holy Spirit in us instead of, uh, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to drive us and lead us in the purpose that God has for our lives. Jesus here gives them the power. He gives them his spirit. 
And later on, we are going to see exactly what that looks like in the first chapter of Acts, aren't we? And that's why I believe that it's not here they receive the Holy Spirit. I do not think, and the reason why is because right after this, they're still behind locked doors. We see the difference what happens when they truly receive, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power, what happens? Proclamation. They fulfill exactly what Jesus is going to say here. So the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in the mission that God has for our lives. We cannot fulfill His purpose without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we see exactly what that looks like. So the, the, the wording here, it is a command that He says. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a command that they are going to receive the Holy Spirit. But I think he has just implemented what is going to happen at Pentecost because nothing changes. Right after this, they're still behind closed doors. They're still afraid. And we see what an impact later on in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit makes. And I, I think we tend to forget that the same Spirit that's in the Apostle Paul, the same spirit that's in the Apostle Peter, the same spirit that was in the early disciples, disciples, that same spirit resides in you and me. This is the power that Jesus gives us. And we see what happens when they allow the Holy Spirit to drive that vehicle. But oftentimes we want to be like, whoa, I'm not too sure about that. Can't you just chill out a little bit with all this evangelism stuff? Pastor Mark, you talk about this all the time. Can't you just chill out? Can't we just enjoy the scenery, have a cup of coffee as we, we travel down the road called life? Not, I don't want to be too aggressive. I don't want to upset the other drivers in the lane. And that's how we do. Maybe I'll, get, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll wave. I'll say Jesus loves you. Maybe I'll get a little Jesus bumper sticker on my car. That's evangelism, right? That's all I got to do. Jesus bumper sticker, Jesus bobblehead, and I'll wave and say, Jesus loves you. That's my extent right there. Any, anything else? I'll go to average, Holy Spirit. Assertive? I don't want to go to assertive. When Jesus sends us out, He does not send us out without power or without help. He sends us out with His, Holy, with His Spirit, His presence. And the Holy Spirit has a personality because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We tend to forget that. Holy Spirit has a personality of its own. We want to control the Holy Spirit with our personality. And, and like, I, I don't have that type of personality, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. The Holy Spirit wants to shape our personality and conform us into the image of Christ, which one huge aspect was obedience to the Father and fulfilling the mission that He had for His life. Amen? That's the mission He has for us. The same mission. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you, each and every single one of you, no matter what kind of car you're driving. You may think you have an old clunker vehicle, it's not going to get very far, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter because the engine is the Holy Spirit in you. Just like it was the Apostle Paul, just like it was the Apostle Peter. Same Spirit working in their lives. It's, it's crazy when we think about that. In, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says to them, that the, the, the gospel came to them not in words only, but in 
power and conviction. And what was the end result? The end result was that they turned from idols to serve the living God. Do you believe that God can do that through you today? Because the same spirit lives in you that lived in them. So what's stopping us? Take it off chill mode. Paul says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive speech or in words of wisdom, but what? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Go out. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and demonstrate God's power as people turn from serving idols to the living God. That's what he wants his church to do. Peace gets us out the door. The Holy Spirit opens our mouths. And the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. Revealing the power to save and revealing the power of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power to do what? To save. Is it you doing the saving? Nope. The Holy Spirit guides us. You know, He guides us to certain places. He guides you into your job, into your relationships. He guides you in your school, in your work, wherever it is. He guides you into those places so that you can be a witness for Christ in your behavior and with your mouth. Do you believe that? Are you intentionally taking those opportunities to allow Him to work through you and as, as, so that you can fulfill the mission that God has in your life. He gives you the guidance. He gives you the words to say. And He is the one who produces conviction in people's hearts. You're not the one. He actually tells His disciples this earlier. He will convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he's the one who regenerates their hearts. So what do we have to worry about, right? Who's doing the work? The Holy Spirit is. We need to make ourselves available. We need to get outside the doors. We need to get outside our doors. We need to not be afraid. We need to receive the peace of Christ. We need to move forward in faith. And then we need to open our mouths in faith, don't we? Because third essential is we need to proclaim His pardon. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So we see kind of the flow here. We're sent out. Well, we get out the door. He gives us his peace. We no longer fear man or fear the repercussions of following Jesus Christ. We have a pattern that we follow. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the message that we are to proclaim, and that is forgiveness. Amber Geiger is a former Dallas police officer, 
who has been found guilty of murdering Botham Jean. The case became a national story because of the circumstances surrounding the crime, which included allegations of racism. Geiger is white and was a police officer. Botham Jean was an African-American. Geiger shot and killed him in his own home, alleging that she had mistakenly entered the wrong apartment and thought he was a burglar. So she thought she had entered her apartment, but it was his apartment. Geiger was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. Many people outside the courtroom decried that sentence, insisting that it was far too lenient. Inside the courtroom, however, another voice was heard. It was the brother of Botham Jean, Brandt. Brandt, during the trial, gave a statement in which he forgave Amber Geiger and explained that he did not wish her any harm. He instead encouraged her to look somewhere. You know where he encouraged her to look? He encouraged her to look to Jesus Christ. Brandt looked at Geiger, told her that he loved her, and then he asked the judge if he could go and hug her. And there they are. The courtroom was palpable with tears and weeping. Forgiveness is at the heart of our message, isn't it? We live it out and we proclaim it, just like this guy did. Many, many times, you and I have no idea what God is doing in the heart and mind of someone that we speak to. We never know who is in need or feeling the need to be forgiven. Like this woman, people are convicted, living in a world of guilt and shame, living in sin and need to receive the power of Christ's forgiveness. Our commission is a commission to pronounce that forgiveness. So the, the wording here is a little interesting. A lot of different commentators say a lot of different things about it. Literally, it should read, those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven. So, the first two verbs and the first two clauses imply the action of an instant. So, you forgive or do not forgive is the action of an instant. And then the second verbs are the, in the abiding state. You and I do not issue forgiveness. As one commentator says, God does not forgive sins because we decide to do so, or does He withhold forgiveness because you and I will not grant the forgiveness we announce forgiveness. We do not create forgiveness. This is the essence of salvation. By proclaiming the gospel, you and I are effecting forgiveness or not forgiving based on the response. 
And again, you and I never ever know what is happening in the hearts and minds of individuals and who needs to hear that. How many of you needed to hear that Jesus Christ forgives your sins? How many people remember that time when they discovered that their sins were forgiven by Jesus Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection? We have no idea what God is doing in the hearts and minds of individuals, and he's going to place people in our paths that he's been preparing to hear this message. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message that we're all sinners, we're all guilty, and we all need the power of his forgiveness through his death, burial, and resurrection. I'll tell you what, the personal story, when I was 24 years old, that is the first time I heard really and truly what the gospel was all about. And when I heard it, I needed to hear that. That's exactly what I needed to hear because up until that point, God was preparing my heart for that moment. And when I heard it, it washed over me like a wave. And we think people don't need to hear it. Think people were afraid to say it because we don't know how they're going to respond. I wouldn't be standing here today if someone didn't tell me my sins were forgiven in Christ. I just wouldn't be here There are people out there that need a a big hug. (laughs) They need to know. They don't need to bear that guilt anymore. They need to know, no matter what they have done, Jesus Christ has paid the price for that. The message we have is a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of forgiveness. We're forgiven. They're not right now. They are in Christ if they receive Him. They don't know that. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? I hope it's us. Might be saying, Pastor Mark, it's easy for you to say you're an extrovert, right? You're a type A personality, you like to talk. That's your problem. It's easy for you, right? You get paid to talk. It's your job to evangelize. And I, I started thinking about that because I, I know you're not all like me. And I don't want you to be like me. As a matter of fact, don't be like me. That's going to be a terrible church that we would be at. God, God is going to use each and every one of us in our personalities. Do you, do you believe that? And, and guess what? There are, there are times I'm afraid to speak. As a matter of fact, I, as I'm preparing this sermon, there was a time this past week. Walked into a subway. No one was there. Just three people, three workers. And I've been reading this and reading Acts, and I'm just like constantly convinced. I'm like, I got to start doing what I'm going to tell folks to do, because if not, this isn't going to go over well. And I was ready to proclaim the gospel in some form or fashion. I just said, I just feel, felt the Holy Spirit leading me to talk 
to these people. Now, I don't always do that, just talk to random folks, but I just felt like I was going to ask them a question and be like, hey, has anyone ever shared the gospel? As a matter of fact, I was so ready to do it, and my wife's just going to hear about this now. I gave them a tip at Subway, $2 tip. Never do I give tips at Subway, which shows you how kind of sneaky I am, right? Because I'm like, well, if I, pre- I thought to myself, I'm not kidding, this happened in my head. If I preach them the gospel and they see I don't give them a tip, they're going to think I'm a punk or something. They're not going to want to listen to me anyway. So $2 tip, ready to preach, ready to talk to them. And guess what happened? I was afraid. I didn't say a word. Except thank you. Took my sandwich, my cookie, my chips, out the door. I put the Holy Spirit on chill mode. I said, nah, I don't know what they're going to say. I feel kind of weird. You know who else was afraid to speak? Moses. You know, right? Wasn't Moses afraid to speak? Didn't he say, Lord? Now, was he making excuses? I don't know. But he says to him, I'm slow of speech and tongue. How many are slow of speech and tongue in here? I know there's a few, right? Yeah. You don't know what to say you kind of, when you say it, and then you go home, and you're like, why did I say that? Moses was slow to speak. He couldn't speak. He's afraid to proclaim the message that God had for him to proclaim. And what does the Lord say? Go. I am the one who created what? The, the mouth, the, the tongue, the ears, the eyes. Go, and I will be with your mouth. Wow, that's a promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God chooses to use the ones who are weak, right? He chooses to use the things of this world that are not to shame the things of the world that are. You don't have to be a public evangelist. You don't have to be a good speaker. None of us do. Why? Because He's using you. Because He is the one who equips you. He is the one who enables you. He is the one who is going to save those individuals through you. We need His peace so that we can move forward from our fears and move forward in faith. The guy that I mentioned early on, do you know who it was? It was Gary Hogan, the the founder of International Justice Mission. Is everyone familiar with that? He, he goes in and he frees young girls from sex trafficking. Can you imagine if he gave in to those fears? He needed to be free from his fear so that he can free those girls from the lives that they were stuck and trapped in. Jesus gives us his peace so that we can fearlessly follow him. Father, Lord, we all need reassurance today. Knowing that you have overcome this world through your son, Jesus Christ. Knowing that his presence is with us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, and to use us for your glory. Lord, help us to trust in you.
Help us to receive your peace no matter what we are facing today, what we are afraid of, what is keeping us trapped. I pray that we all receive your peace, trust in you, and move forward in faith. In Jesus' name we pray.